You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. We are in a series uh, called Inspired, and it's kind of twofold. We're looking at some of the most inspiring stories. There are just some stories, some events, some people, some speeches, some activities uh, that inspire us to do the extraordinary, to think more, to live more, to risk more, to sacrifice more, to stand up and, and fight to, to light a fire in our life. And so these inspired stories are some of the things that we are taking a look at as we discover what God wants to do in your life, to inspire you to do, as well as inspire us as a church to do as we step into the new phase of our church's life. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. His power, God's power at work in us enables us to do more than we can think or imagine to him, to God, be glory in the church, in us as a group together, and in Christ through all generations forever and ever Amen. The Apostle Paul is challenging the church in Ephesians to think and to dream big, to grab a hold of what God's plan for their life is, and then imagine bigger, because God is a big God, and He is able to do more than we can imagine, more than we can think. So we're kind of unwrapping this idea and this dream and this vision of what God has for us as a church. Last week, we talked about dreaming big with a big God who's able to lead us and empower us to do mighty things. Uh, this is a, a year, uh, 2016 is a year of a great step of faith for us as a church as we pursue God as to what he has for us and where he has for us to go. Um, the mission is clear. It's given in Matthew 28, 19, to go into all the world and to preach the gospel, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and uh, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. That is a very clear mission given by Jesus. That is our mission of every true Christian church. The mission of every true Christian church is not to do good, but to preach the gospel to all and then live a life that projects the love of Christ by doing good. But our mission is to proclaim the gospel to the world. And uh, in acts of love and kindness, we show that that is legitimately in our life. Now, we do this through our 3D mission, uh, which is Discover, Develop, Deploy, to help you discover Christ, to uh, develop maturity in Christ, and to deploy you into the world for Christ. That is our mission given by Jesus. That's how we uh, describe it as uh, the 3Ds. But our vision is how we live or how this mission unfolds for us as a church, and each church has a different vision. Some churches have a particular vision of a kind of a location. You know, when Nicole and I started Living Way Church in this area, we had a vision for this area, for this region, for this part of Dallas. There's a reason why we didn't move to Fort Worth, or we didn't move to uh, to Carrollton, or we didn't move to, uh, to to Mesquite. We moved from Mesquite when we moved here to this area to Saxe because God had given us a vision for this area. And our mission is the same as a church, but our vision for how that church 
uh, fulfills how this church, how our church unfolds that mission is what separates our vision from other visions. Proverbs 29, 18 says this, that where there is no vision, the word there is kazon, which means dream, revelation, or vision. Without a vision, where there is no vision, the people wander aimlessly. Or some other translations say they perish or they cast off restraint. God has given uh, us a vision for our church. A mission that is laid out by Jesus very clearly, but our vision is what God's plan for us as a church is. And and that vision, as we've been unfolding that over the last several years, we feel like it's time to step into. Vision is seeing what God has designed for us, but what has not yet happened. Uh, Without a vision, we will wander and lose our way. Well, this is our vision the vibe. And we've talked about the vibe before. Now, uh, we are spending this whole month to talk about how that plays into our current step of faith. And the vibe is a from a, is the root of a Latin word, which means life. You ever heard the Viva la France? Uh, vive? It's uh, French, but it's based on the same Latin word, uh, vive, vibe, which means life. So uh, when you see the word vibe, we're saying life. We're talking about a place that is life-giving. And we've been in this theater for 10 years. We've been right here setting up in uh, AMC for 10 years. When we first started, we were on the other side of the theater, on the opposite side, in smaller theaters. And we, we slowly graduated up to larger theaters. And then when they started going digital, they moved us over to this side. And, and uh, we... Uh, Started in smaller theaters over here, and we moved into this large one about uh, two and a half, three years ago. Uh, this is the largest one we've been in, but we've been in the AMC for 10 years. And for six years, I've been talking about the vibe and waiting on God's timing for the vibe. Some of you guys remember me very first talking about it. It was very exciting, uh, but it wasn't God's timing. What is the vibe? Well, it's a place for our youth and our kids uh, to meet where they can bring friends and, and get to know Christ. It's a place of counseling, a place where support groups and Bible studies can meet, where local ministries like our prison ministry or Young Life can meet. It's an events venue for art, live music, outreach, where we can actually be the church to the community, not just show up and have a service. Uh, eventually, a volunteer-led coffee shop is something we see in the future, a cafe lounge, or what we call it, a coffee lounge. Uh, it's a tool for mission, for people to hear and respond to Christ. That is the vibe, and it is the future of Living Way Church, and we feel that now is the time. When I say we, I'm talking about our current leadership team. Our leadership team is made up of about 15 people, and there are about five of us elders, and uh, our group of leadership through prayer over the last year and a half, we feel like this is the time uh, to step out in faith and believe God for our future. We are still and will always be Living Way Church. This is not in any way dropping Living Way Church. This is a ministry extension 
of Living Way Church and the place where Living Way Church will have its services. So as we talk more about this in the next coming weeks, I I don't want you to miss anything. Next week particularly, we're going to lay out our budget for our Living Way Church, our current finances of Living Way Church, and how that plays into uh, this coming year. So if you're a member of Living Way or you attend regular, you don't want to miss next Sunday for sure. Today, we're going to talk about how we are inspired to be different. Inspired to be different. Now, some of you guys, man, you would love your life to be different. Some of you want your life to be different, but you're scared of change. But you would like your life to be different. Maybe your marriage to be different. Or your relationship with your children to be different. Or maybe you're single and you don't want to be single anymore. You want that to be different. Or maybe you want your grades to be different. You want your health to be different. You want to be different. God is calling us to think and to be different. Uh, I'm talking about uh, someone who's, who, who's tired of going with the flow Uh, You know, we have been called to swim upstream, but what does that mean? What does it mean being different? I want to be honest with you, Living Way has never been a typical church. We've always been a little different. Um, We've, well, one of the biggest differences, we've been in a movie theater for over 12 years. Before we were here for two years, we were at another theater in Garland, an old theater that's now uh, not a theater anymore. Um, we were there for uh, nearly two years, so we've been in a theater for 12 years. That's pretty different. And for some, it's it, it's confused people, and it's chased a lot of people away. Uh, in our early days, man, we were like, man, this is exciting. A theater's awesome. They get a year into it, a two-year into it, and you're like, this is just too weird. It's too different for me. I mean, we, we have had uh, so many people that have said we love your church, we love you as pastors, we love the people, but the theater is just hard for us. You know, it doesn't bother me that, that it doesn't go, oh, we need to do something fast, because that was our vision, that's our, that's our DNA. We're called to be different, not different for different sake, but because there's a mission and a purpose and a plan for us, and, and we have a mission, a plan, part of our DNA is to not be a typical, the world doesn't need another building called church. They need a church that's made up of people because the church is not a beetling, it's people. But the world needs a body of believers, the church, to be the church. Not another building on a corner that you have to pass by on the way to your church building. So God hasn't called us to build uh, a building or just to have a building, to have a building, to be a building, to call that church. God has called us to be the church, and part of that is the bin that we have been in this movie theater on purpose. I mean, if years ago when we started Living Way Church, we had a mission to get out of the church and get a typical building and do things traditional, then you know what? We'd probably be uh, different in numbers and in size and location, but we wouldn't be who God's called us to be because God has called us to be different. God has called us to be different. We hold true to the apostles' teaching, but our methods are different. We hold true to the apostles' message and even their way of communicating. However, our methods and the church's methods ever since it started 2016 years ago have been 
different. Seeking to keep our focus on people, not a building. The church is, is not a place. It is people. That is our DNA. And being in a theater has helped us to, to secure that DNA. On our next chapter as a church, things will be different even still. We are um, building upon what God has already done in our church. I mean, the lives changed, uh, the baptisms, the fresh starts, the new births. Now, take what you know God has done in our church and imagine even greater. Because God is able to do even more than we can imagine, hope, or think with us as a body, as a church. And part of that is uh, the responsibility of, of, of figuring out what God's next step for us and us. And I'll be honest with you, since we've started in, uh, in 2003 as a church, and when we moved to this theater and restarted our church in 2006, uh, we had been looking into uh, connecting with uh, fellowships, networks, and denominations in order that we could be a healthier church for us as a body. Uh, we are an independent church right now. That means we don't, uh, we're not members of a of a denomination. We have in 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 the past years been part of different networks. For example, we uh, were part of the Church Planning Network ARC Association of Related Churches, and uh, we have been looking ever since we started into like-minded denominations to connect with. And as we move into this new chapter of our church, I want to tell you as the pastor to our church, we are looking into connecting possibly with the denomination. And uh, we have, I have been in meetings with some, uh, some, some denominational folks, and uh, we're looking and praying about what that step for us as a church is. And no matter what we do, I will be talking to you every single step of the way. I don't believe in keeping secrets and doing things and then telling you what we've done. I want to tell you everything that we're doing as we're doing it. Okay, so uh, I'm meeting and we're praying as a team about the possibility of us connecting with a denomination so that we can not go it alone but connect with a bigger group and, and impact and do more together. Okay, and uh, we're going to pray about that as a church. We'll actually even, uh, one of the few times ever as a church, we might even have kind of a, a and then, you know, a, a vote on kind of how you guys feel about that because I want us to be on the same page together. So some might say, well, why move? Isn't this, I mean, this is a pretty good environment. I mean, this is a big screen. We just saw a movie clip on a big screen and the clips, and I mean, this is cool. The theater, I mean, you can go to sleep and the people behind you don't even know. I love these seats for you to scooch in. <laughs> Man, you're like, you're out. You know, it's got cup holders for your coffee and drinks. This is a, the, the experience here is great if you just walk in and experience it. But there's a lot that goes into putting up and putting together church on Sunday mornings. Why should we move? Well, here's a couple of reasons why. And uh, this is uh, something that, that we have been as a team been thinking about for years and that we feel like over the last years is kind of a part of why we feel like it's time. Is it Number one, we don't have a contract here. About five years ago, they stopped doing contracts, which means they could literally next week give us a letter saying they want us out in 30 days, and, that, and we have to do that. There's no contract. It's a purely a 30-day commitment. Now, they make a, a good amount of money on us per year, but if they feel like they don't like you know, there are people waiting and they don't like us kind of 
doing things the way we do or repairing anything that we break or something, then they could easily have a sleep. So there's not a security in our space. Um, being mobile has its challenges. Obviously, setting up, tearing down. Some of you guys don't know what that means. We've talked about that in the past, but there's a group that gets that trailer early, about 7 in the morning. They meet here at 7.30, and they set up. There's Kid Venture. There's a group that get that trailer every Sunday morning, and they set it up and tear it down. And, and uh, there's a lot of mobile challenges. We have limited time here. We have a 12 o'clock movie today, which means we have to be out at a specific time. Sometimes you've been in here when the lights have gone down low and the trailers have come on. You, you remember those days? It still happens. Sometimes a music will kick on. And, uh, you know, that happens in Kid Venture too. And sometimes it's not kids' music that comes on. <laughs> sometimes the trailers come on for a movie that's not a kid-friendly movie. So we have limited time, and, and it's different per week. We have limited visibility. Uh, about four or five years ago, they basically said no more signs out in Firewall Mall, so we have no signage in Firewall Mall. Uh, we have limited signs inside the theater. We have uh, limited signs on the corner. Uh, so there's, a, there's this limited knowledge that we are even here. We have limited ministry. Uh, most of our ministry outside of Living Way Sunday mornings is through our life teams. And we have life teams that meet throughout the week. By the way, the new round starts this week. And, and man, some great uh, home-built, community-based ministry takes place. But it limits even what we can do as a group with our youth. You know, our youth right now meet in a house. And you may not see them all on Sundays, but we have anywhere from 45 on a, on a typical night to on busy nights up to 55 kids in a house jam-packed with leaders and and uh, if you've ever if you if you ever look at some of the p- pictures on our website or Facebook it's a packed house and we have very limited ability to to, to minister with our kids and to, to to do things with our teens and we just have limitations with our our small groups all have to find a place to meet, like our support groups, and uh, it's just limited. Uh, and also, it's a greater use of kingdom resources. Right now, I want to tell you, we pay uh, on five-week Sundays $33,500 a month, and on our four-week Sundays, we pay uh, $2,860-something, I think, a month. It's tr- basically, it averages out $3,000 a month to lease this theater for five hours a Sunday, okay? So we get 20 hours a month for $3,000. Now, that's a pretty cheap, okay? That's cheaper than anywhere else you're going to get. But obviously, we might, with just a little bit more, be able to have something that we can use every day of the week for ministry. Remember, it's a tool. The church are the people. It's just a tool, okay? Um, And the number one reason, because God says it's time. Because God says it's time. So we've had all those reasons for the last 10 years, but we've embraced it because we knew it wasn't God's time. But we feel like it's God's time. So a person the Bible understood being different is Daniel. I want to share a quick message about Daniel, and we'll share a couple things about the Vive as we transition into what God has for us. So let's kind of take a look at Daniel for a little bit. Daniel is actually a book in the Old Testament. He's a prophet. And the book of Daniel is broken up into two parts. There's the story part, the history part, and then there's the prophecy part. They're not chronological. Once 
chapter 6 is over, the rest of Daniel actually overlaps the events of the first six chapters. So it's not chronological. Uh, But the first six chapters talk about a very real story, and it covers 70 years of life. Many have heard of the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, It happened actually near the end of his life. It happened in Daniel chapter 6, which we're going to look at in a moment. But what happened preceding that and what brought him to that place is even more interesting. It's because he wanted things to be different and because he chose that he was going to be different than what everybody else expected of him is that got him in that In that den, but it also is the place where God shows up, and it's the reason why we're reading about him today, is because he chose through the power of God to be different. So here's the background. Much of the known world had been conquered by the Babylonians at that time. They were vicious, and they were led by a king named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar took over Judah, which is where the people of God were living. And one of those people was the family, uh, were the family of Daniel. Daniel was taken off as a captive into the new Babylonian capital of Babylon. Uh, a long spiral of disobedience led Judah to that place, taking Judah as captive and slaves. They were forced to adapt to their new Babylonian culture. Here comes Daniel. He was a captive. He has three friends that are mentioned. There's four guys in the book of Daniel. Uh, All four have prominent roles in the first six chapters. uh, And they are Daniel and uh, you might know the other guys by their Babylonian names as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, Daniel knew what it meant to stand up and to stand out for God. Let's look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Then the king, that's Nebuchadnezzar, ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Now, Daniel and his three friends were handpicked by the king. They were handpicked, and they were ordered to adapt and to learn the culture of the Babylonians. The Bab worldview. Daniel 1.8 says this, however. says, but Daniel resolved, and the others, resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. His conviction led him to confrontation, all right? Verse 9, now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. As the story unfolds, you're going to see time and time and time again, Daniel and his three friends standing up for what they know was right in the face of everything around him saying, you are going to fail You cannot do this. You must step in line. You've got to do it the way everybody else does it. This is out of the ordinary. Just do what you're told and everything will be great. The four of them repeatedly, from Daniel 1 to Daniel 6, repeatedly said no. God has called us to be different. 
And as a result, you have these stories of, you know, not bowing to the idols and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being tossed in this fiery furnace. And you have these other just really cool stories that happen in Daniel, all because they said God has called us to be different. Now, because of that, because of that conviction, because of that courage, God brought them to a place of prominence and authority. And after Nebuchadnezzar died, the Persians attacked Babylon and the entire kingdom became Persian territory. And after three kings, there was a new guy named Darius. And Darius now, flash forward 50 years near the end of Daniel's life, King Darius names Daniel lead ruler over a third of his Persian empire. Check this out. Daniel 6 verse 1, it says, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them. One of the three was Daniel. The satraps uh, were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among all those administrators and the satraps by, this, by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now, Daniel is a rising star. He never, ever compromised what he knew God had called him to be. He never compromised who he knew God had called him uh, to be and to do. And because of that, he was on his way up. He was a leader of leaders, and he was good at it. Check it out. Verse 4 says, Now at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs. They were jealous of him. They wanted his position. They wanted his favor. He says, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Man, those are powerful work qualities, by the way. If you have a job, if you're desiring uh, to, to be your very best and to honor God at work and in your family, man, be trustworthy. Don't allow the world to corrupt you. Be a man, a woman of holiness unto God. And he wasn't neglectful. He wasn't negligent. That means he did what he was asked to do. And he did it without laziness or without neglect for what he was asked for. That means he did his best all the time. So he was trustworthy. He lived a righteous life. And he did what he was asked. All right? Powerful qualities. It says, but... He says, finally, these men said, we can't get him on his work ethic. It's superior. There's no corruption found in him. He says, so finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for the charges against this man unless it has something to do with the law of his God. That means they began to look for ways to bring him down using his faith. They knew that they weren't going to be able to catch him or trick him or get him to compromise his values. They had to center their attention on his walk with God. Now, before the lion's den, there are three things that really make Daniel different, that brought 
difference in his life. If you want to see change in your life, and I believe God is calling us as a church that we that things are going to be different for us in the next coming uh, year, then uh, these are qualities that, that you need to embrace, three qualities that Daniel had, uh, three things that make a change maker. Number one is spiritual conviction. Now, this is not emotion. This is not about good sentiment, and this is not good intentions. This is raw conviction. This is, he lived what he believed, and it was real. It was in his blood. This was his DNA. It uh, shaped him. It gave weight to his life. Who he was was not based upon some set of ideals that he hoped to attain or reach. It was deep-rooted convictions that shaped the very steps of his life. We live in a world where a lot of us lack deep conviction about anything. Some of you here, you kind of feel this way about something, kind of feel this way, kind of feel this way about, you know, where's the conviction, right? Where is the deep spiritual conviction? Notice what his enemy said in verse 4. It says, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct and his governor Paris, but they were unable to do so. They could not find any corruption in him because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. Daniel had set a set had a set of spiritual values and principles that were operating his life. Not just his life, but over his life. Not just in his life. See, this is different than being a good person. This is different than being a nice guy or good gal. This is different. It was deeper than that. It, it shows that in the facts that they knew that this was so deep, this was more than just living life honorably, they knew that to get to the core of why he was like that, they were going to have to attack his spiritual life. See, this is what spiritual conviction is. It's not choosing to live a certain way because it looks good. It's because you have a deep-rooted spiritual conviction with God over something, and it shapes your decisions and steps. See, I'm a true believer that when you believe something with the deepest, richest parts of your life with deep conviction, ultimately it shapes the way you live your life concerning that area. Because that conviction shapes, moves, and rocks your life because it's rooted not in your own desires or will or commitment, but in your relationship with God. Okay? So they knew they were going to have to attack his very walk with God. So verse 5 says, finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man unless it's something to do with the law of God. If they could set him up to choose between God or the Persian rules or the Persian way, Daniel would have to choose. Uh, we all have to choose. We all have a Babylon before us. We all have a Persian empire before us. And I'm going to ask you, will you choose Babylon? Will you choose Persia? When you leave here today, you will be set and faced with decisions that your convictions will guide you on. And it's not sentiments, good intentions, or positive motives that will help you to succeed with those decisions. It is going to be spiritual convictions. Those are the only thing that can truly guide your life. That's how conviction works. 
It's when you do something that's right, not because it benefits you, but because it's right. Because God says it's right. Because you know that it's right in the eyes of God. Daniel and his friends had deep conviction about how they would eat, about how they would pray, about how they would worship, how they would conduct their lives. And Daniel 1 through 6 tells some of those stories. They stood out. They did not bow to the pressure. They were different. We watched that video at the beginning of Eric Little. Uh, That was a clip from the Chariots of Fire Academy Award winning movie from 1981. 1924 Paris Summer Olympics. Um... He was favored to win the 100 meters. However, when he found out that he was going to have to run on a Sunday, his deep conviction and his walk with God said, no, I will not run on Sunday because God has called me to honor the Lord with that day and honor my time with that day. And so he did not run, and it made massive news because he was the favored gold medal winner for the 100 meter. And because of that, he was bumped to his less successful run, which is four times longer, the 400 meter. He was willing to forego and let go of everything he had worked on so hard because of his spiritual convictions. Moved to the 400, not his strongest. Just before he ran, a friend slipped him a note of 1 Samuel 2.20, which said, those who honor me, I will honor. Little grabbed that note held it, squeezed it with his hands, and he ran with it the whole race. And not only did he win the race, but he broke the world record at the time in the 400 meter, which was held for the next 15 years. He was considered because of that to be the fastest man alive. In fact, if you want to see what it really looked like, here's a video clip from 1924 Olympics. In Paris, the Olympic Games had established themselves as the world's most important sporting event. The British had arrived with a very strong team. In the sprint events, however, the Americans were the men to catch. There were two world-class Americans in the 100 meters final, Jackson Schultz and defending champion Charlie Paddock, and both were favorites for the gold. Britain was represented by a Cambridge graduate who had recently broken the English record in long jump. However, Harold Abrahams was sure his best chance of Olympic gold rested with the 100 meters. As he crossed the line, Abrahams had run the race of his life beating Schultz to the gold by over a foot. Another British sprinter should have been in that final, but for a twist of fate. Eric Little was due to run in the 100 meters, but withdrew when he discovered the heats fell on a Sunday, his day of worship. Instead, Little ran in the 400 meters and made it to the final. Not expected to do well, Little ran like a man inspired. Starting in the outside lane, he passed the 200-meter mark in a remarkable 22.2 seconds, a time many thought was too fast to maintain. But Little showed no sign of tiring coming into the final straight. In fact, he increased his lead. When he crossed the line, he had set a new Olympic record of 47.6 seconds, leaving the other runners floundering in despair. The 1981 film Chariots of Fire dramatized Abrahams and Little's heroic stories for a whole new audience. 
but their real moments of victory came in Paris in 1924. Those Olympics, you know what Little did? He didn't uh, get his face on the box of a cereal. He didn't become a celebrity in Great Britain. He uh, packed up his family and he moved to China and he continued his mission work where he ended up dying in Japan uh, in a hospital. He lived the rest of his life as a missionary running the race of Christ for God. And we're still reading his, his stories. We're still talking about him and uh, they're still making movies about him uh, because he stood for his conviction, his spiritual conviction and knowing uh, what spiritual conviction, conviction is knowing what hills you're willing to die on and then running to them. Uh, I have deep conviction about what I believe God is calling us as a church to do. I have deep, 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 uh, excuse me, I have deep conviction about what God has called me to do as a believer, as a Christian, as a man of God, as a husband, to live for Jesus Christ. Uh, and as your pastor, I pray that you, over the course of this uh, last year and over the course of this last month, that you're getting a new sense of conviction, spiritual conviction, about what God has called us to do as a church and God is calling you to do as a person. Those against Daniel got the king to decree a 30-day uh, halt on prayer. Uh, so that means, see, let me put it this way. Those that were against Daniel knew that they had to get him on his walk with God. So they got the king to decree that no one could pray to any being other than to Darius himself for the next 30 days. So the king put out this decree. Everyone must pray to Darius for 30 days. And whoever didn't would be arrested and killed by the lions, would be thrown to the lions. Well, well, look what Daniel did, Daniel 6.10. It says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home and he cried because he really liked the Lord. When he heard that it had been published, he called up his friends and said, what are we going to do? When he heard that it had been published, he silently in the secret of his house prayed so that nobody would know. It says, no, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed. Guys, listen, I love that three times a day. That means he never had enough of God. He didn't go, up oh, Sunday, check, I'm good for the week. Sunday morning or Monday morning, all right, I need to begin my day with pray. Okay, Lord, help me today. Check, I'm done. Prayer for a meal, check, we're done. Prayer's in. I gave God some, some, some you know, some props for, for the food. You know, this is not, he couldn't get enough of God. And he prayed, and he prayed with his windows open, giving thanks to God. And I love this part, just as he had done before. A lot of translations say, as he always did, or as usual. Here's the second thing I want you to know. It not only takes spiritual conviction, but it also takes personal discipline. If you want anything in your life, to be different, it's going to take discipline, right? You could attach that to anything. If you want your marriage, your finances, your money, your job, if you want your health, if you want anything in your life, if you want our church to be different, you want anything, it's going to take personal discipline. It's a requirement for change. Daniel lived a life not only of conviction, but a life of 
spiritual discipline. He had a set place, a set time. It was prioritized. It was his pattern. It was his discipline. It was his way of life. He disciplined his public life to align with his private life, not the other way around. Listen, very little in life can be accomplished without discipline. Every great athlete, every great accomplishment, every book ever written, every award ever received, every race ever won, everyone who has ever done anything great for God, all accomplishments are all through the same thing, personal discipline. So if you're sitting around thinking that somehow things are going to be different just because you want them to be different, that's the definition of crazy. Because it takes discipline. It's going to take action. It's going to take a sense of habit and change. Again and again, discipline is what sets apart one of the greatest golfers in the history. Uh, he's considered one of the top three golfers in history. His name is Gary Player. A person came up and said, Gary, I would give anything if I could hit a golf ball like you. It is said that he turned to this person. He said, no, you wouldn't. You'd give anything to hit a golf ball like me if it was easy. Do you want to know what I have to do to hit a golf ball like that? He says, if you want to hit a golf ball like me, then you need to get up at 5 o'clock every day, go out and hit 1,000 golf balls, and when your hand starts bleeding, walk up to the clubhouse, wash the blood off your hands, slap a bandage on it, and then go back out and hit another 1,000 golf balls. Is that what you want to do? Because that is what it takes to hit a golf ball like me. Is that what you want? People successful in all areas of life, fitness, personal finance, sports, musicians, artists, again and again, discipline sets them apart. But guys, listen, discipline by itself isn't the only issue. God hasn't just called us to be disciplined. I know so many who are disciplined, but are disciplined about very, uh, about very superficial things. Things do not really matter for eternity. See, what Mark Daniel's life was not discipline, but discipline in the areas that mattered the most. And it was because of that discipline that he was so successful in other areas of life. Daniel let nothing come between him and his walk with God. Let me tell you something. You're like, well, my life is busy. Nobody in this room has had a life busier than Daniel. Let me explain. He was one of the top three men in an entire government organization, responsible for over 40 districts. Imagine being governor of all of the states east of the Mississippi, and that is the, the daily life of Daniel. Yet he stopped to pray. Yet he kept his commitments to God and to others. And he kept his pledge to God. And his work, because of that, excelled. You see, the real evidence, the real test of what matters to you is what you discipline yourself for. For example, if you say your family is important, then your life and your schedule will reflect the, the importance of that conviction and the discipline that you put in place for it. If you say that your marriage is important, then your disciplines in life will truly reflect that personal 
conviction and that personal discipline. If you say God is your number one priority, then your life will reflect it. Your schedule will reflect it. And if you're excited about what God is doing in our church, then your personal discipline will reflect that. Stepping out into what God has for us will require all of us to have personal discipline in areas of our life. Here's the third thing. Not only did he have uh, spiritual conviction, personal discipline, but the last thing is this. He had a willful obedience. A willful obedience. This is huge because it's one thing to have principles, and it's, but it's another thing to actually walk them out and to live them. Most often, obedience is tested when it carries a price tag. If being obedient doesn't cost you anything, it's probably not that big of an effort. When it costs you something, then you know it's obedience. Then you know it's discipline. Then you know it's something special. Daniel had to choose whether to be faithful in obedience to God and lose his personal position in life or to turn his back on God for the sake of personal security. It seems counterintuitive in life, really, disobey God and be rewarded. Or we obey God and pay a price. You see, that messes with our head. And that's why most of us, when confronted with the choice of will, willful obedience, we disobey. Because we think, surely, surely God would not have us do something that could put our life in detriment. It couldn't, I mean, surely it's not something God would have us do. Well, yes, because personal conviction guides us. And our discipline tells us. And our obedience is the action of it. Daniel 6.10, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, says he went upstairs to the room where the windows were open towards Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had always done before. He willfully and radically obeyed God. It didn't matter what other people said. He knew what God said. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying. And what did they see him doing? Asking God for help. Uh-huh, movie time. So you're talking about limited time? That's the first sign that I better wrap it up. Lights are going down. Daniel's kneeling prayer, guys, is what gave him the strength to stand. Guys, as we wrap up what God is calling us to do, he obeyed God. Standing out, standing up, standing strong, it will cost us. Look what happened the next day, Daniel 6, 19. It says, at the first light of dawn, <coughs> oh, by the way, they did arrest him. They took him, they bound him, and they threw him in a pit, and they covered the pit. And what was in the pit? But lions. You know the story. He was thrown to the lions. Darius liked Daniel. They were buds, even though Darius wasn't serving God. He liked Daniel. His heart was heavy. His heart was sad. So here's what happened. At the first light of dawn, the very next day, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in anguish. He said it with his voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Silence. Daniel answers, may the king live forever. I love that. He's like, God bless the king. May God, he says, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me. Because I was found innocent in his sight. 
nor have I ever done anything wrong before you. He says, man, my spiritual conviction, my values, my life that was dedicated uh, to God and, and my reflection because I was honorable. He says, uh, I never did anything wrong to you, your majesty. Verse 23 says, the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wounds were found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now, some of you guys know the story. He was restored to power, and Darius began to set out a decree that we must worship the Lord God of Daniel. And he began to worship God. What got him there is what sustained him there, his deep conviction, his personal discipline, and his radical obedience. Guys, here's the deal. As we step out as a church, I'm asking for us to do the same. I'm asking for us to share a deep conviction in our walk with God and in what God has called us as a church to do with our vision. And I'm asking for you to to keep spiritual disciplines, to to pray and to keep yourself uh, as a family right before the Lord and and to, to see what God would have your part be as we unfold this in the next couple of weeks. We're going to lay out a strategy for the year. And then I want you to live in obedience to what God is calling us as a family to do and calling you to do as a family. Our next chapter as a church will be different, and it will take conviction, it will take discipline, it will take commitment, it will take obedience. That means serving, that means giving, that means uh, living it, that means uh, uh, believing that God has called us to be different, so things have got to be different. So... I want to wrap it up with this kind of thought. And then next week, we're going to unfold our finances. We're going to unfold a, a kind of a, another strategy of our church. But don't miss next week because there's a lot of questions. Can we really do this as a church? I mean, we're not a big church. Uh, you know, we're, we're not. What we're doing is completely within God's ability. And I have no doubt about that. But we're going to unpack that a little bit. I want you to know the vibe is not a magic bullet for growth. And it's not something that's going to happen fast. It's something that's going to take uh, some time as we unfold. In fact, there's three phases of the vibe. And you can kind of say we're in the pre-phase. The pre-phase is, is that we're going to begin to raise money for a move. Okay? Because uh, right now we are, what every, everything that comes in goes to ministry. Everything that comes in on a monthly basis goes to ministry, goes to admin, goes to uh, outreach, goes to uh, just ministry support, basically everything that comes in goes out. So our pre-phase is that we're going to begin to save some money, and we're going to talk about that next week. But here are the phases of the vibe. Phase number one is relocation. We are looking and will be actively looking for several months uh, for a place for us to relocate. Uh, It's very unpredictable here. I told you the reasons why we feel like it's time uh, for us to move, Uh, but... Uh, we are looking. We don't have a space right now. As many of you guys know, we put a bid on a space in November. We just kind of were dipping our feet in the water to see what would happen. It didn't work out, but that's no problem because we trust God has got something for us. Doesn't shake us at all. Doesn't shake me at all. Uh, we got We have not because we ask not. So we dipped our feet in the water and we asked. Uh, the bid that we put down in November was was not accepted, but it's not a problem because we trust God. So we are looking for a relocation spot. Now we're not just looking for a place for our church to meet but a place for the vibe, a place for the vibe to be. That's important. Second phase is this, is the venue. First phase is relocation. That could take now to sometime this year. I believe this is the year we're going to relocate. I don't know if it's going to be in three months, six months, or eight months, but I believe this year we will relocate, okay? So that's phase one, 
relocation. Phase two, after we move in from six to 12 months following, we are going to uh, turn our the Vive into a, a, an actual venue that is used for concerts, events, receptions, uh, that sort of thing. And then the following year, as afforded, we're going to transition uh, the front of the Vive into the coffee lounge. So there's this three phases. There's the relocation, there is the venue, and there is the lounge, okay, the cafe lounge. So this is a process. This is not like we're going to go, this is a year we're opening a coffee shop. That's not what's going on here. All right, And we're not going, man, we don't have volunteers for that. Well, you know, this is something that we're moving towards. So I believe as we do this right with God's plan, uh, that God's going to provide for us what we need. So phase one, we're just looking for a place as a church to meet that can eventually become the vibe. And then once we get there, we're going to turn it into the venue that we know that God has called us to host for the city for counseling. That's when the counseling takes place, the support groups, the special events, concerts, that sort of thing, um, uh, ministry outreach uh, hub. And then after that comes, as we can afford it, the process of turning it into a, co- a coffee lounge, all right? So that's the phases of the vibe. So I want us to get a clear perspective on what this means for us and how things are going to be done a little bit differently. So I want to close with this. I want to dare you to be a Daniel. I want to dare you to be different. I want to dare you to stand up and stand out. All the inspiration you need to be you, to be different, to stand out, is not in a rock star, it's not in a celebrity, but it's in the men and women of the Bible who stood up against culture, who stood out against the status quo, who lived honorable lives of integrity and did not compromise. They did not bow to the pressures of those around them. Look to them because the Lord was with them and they trusted the Lord. So God's called us to change the world. You guys with me? I'm excited. Anybody else excited? I am And each week I get a little bit more excited about it. Next week we're going to even unwrap a little bit more about this and what that means for us as a family. Uh, Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you are here uh, this morning. God, you've called us to be different. You've called us to be Daniels. God, I I, I dare our people, I dare the people in this room to, to be a Daniel, to be different, to stand up, to stand out. God, the first true step of standing out is to stand out among the world, and be counted among those who are followers of Christ. God, I pray in Jesus' name that our first step, our first stand will be to live for Jesus Christ. As Daniel lived his whole life for the Lord God, God, we pledge to live our life for the Lord God, Jesus Christ, who is manifest in Jesus Christ. God, thank you that you called us to a unique purpose as a church. We're not typical. God, I don't ever want to be typical. But God, it does take unique and special people to believe in that vision. God, it takes Daniels. And it takes some Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's. God, it takes people who are convicted, people who are disciplined, and people who obey. Thank you, Lord. I believe we have them. In Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.